So I'm here with Volker Sontag, who needs no introduction. Volker is uh, being celebrated at the NS meeting for the Volker Sontag Symposium before the meeting. Volker, do you want to give a message out or a shout out to your fans out there, your trainees, all your patients and, and people who've admired you? Well, it's always an honor that uh, the WNS is putting on this symposium uh, in my name. I wish that uh, as many residents and fellows that I had the opportunity and the pleasure uh, to uh, help train that they could attend this symposium, which I, is in a great city. Ironically, this uh, symposium, being in Philadelphia, it's exactly 20 years from the, from the time that I was uh, honored as the honored guest of the Congress of Neurological Surgeon in Philadelphia. Uh, so yes, I'm looking forward to the meeting. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing all my former colleagues, uh, current colleagues, current uh, students and former students, and I uh, hope to see them not only from a professional point of view, but as you all know, I, I stress the uh, uh, non-neurosurgical uh, uh, life as much as important as the neurosurgical life. So I hope you all can come. Looking forward to it. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Here I am overjoyed to be sitting in person for another in-person episode with a friend of the show, a friend of my home program, Rush, Andre Beer Furlan. Uh, you may recall, if you've been a listener of the show for some time, Andre was on a previous episode with uh, Dr. Ricardo Fontes talking about coming to America after previously training overseas. Andre, like Dr. Fontes, is a fully trained neurosurgeon from Brazil who decided to uproot his life and come to America to start afresh. Uh, and so he repeated residency at Rush and graduated last year. Uh, and I am down visiting family in sunny Tampa, Florida, where he has set up shop and is now practicing at Moffitt Cancer Center. And so Andre has been gracious enough with his time to come on the show and talk about a pretty interesting subject, which is after the grind that you can't imagine, the life he's led, training twice, changing countries, going through that ordeal uh, twice, how it is when you finally get out of that crucible of training and you're out here in the real world, you have a real job, you have a real salary, and we're sitting here in Andre's beautiful home with his beautiful daughters, having some food, and, and how when you're sitting here with all the reward and all the luxuries that life offers, how can you stay hungry? How can you keep that mindset and that drive that gets you to this point to keep busy and to keep pushing to expand and establish your practice? So Andre, I'm gonna shut up, and for our listeners, why don't you say hi, and uh, if anyone didn't hear the last episode, tell them who you are. Thank you, uh, JP. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be in the podcast. I'm, again, I told you already this. I'm I'm uh, a fan of the podcast. I listen uh, uh, every day when I commute to work, and uh, we're talking about how the uh, it was very interesting. The case of uh, I won't forget a series of yeah. great uh, great initiative. Uh, so, yes, I'm uh, originally from Brazil. I. Grew up there, went to medical school and uh, residency training then and practiced there for a few years with the original plan to come to the U.S. to acquire some different skill set and, uh, and go back uh, just to differentiate myself in a competitive market that uh, 
I was in, in, in Sao Paulo, huge city. And, and, uh, and after I came here for, a, I came for a clinical fellowship at OS, OSU in uh, skull base surgery. And uh, that was kind of an eye opener, uh, not only from a professional perspective, but also from a personal perspective on mm. quality, of, quality of life and, and uh, education opportunities for uh, my kids. And, and, but also from a professional standpoint, it was, it was uh, very interesting to see how you could, uh, in the US, you could have a balanced uh, uh, professional life and, and, mm. and personal life. That's what uh, really uh, uh, struck me at that time. And uh, and it was a uh, it wasn't people I I remember when uh, I was interviewing uh, for residency spots and I had uh, opportunities for for jobs too that I, it wasn't too interesting but when as people were like why do you want to do this yeah you know why yeah. uh, you know are you sure you want to do this and um, and people didn't really understand why one a practicing neurosurgeon elsewhere would. Uh, be willing to undergo uh, or retrain in the U.S. and and once we really I kind of talked about what was the reality back home, uh, not only from a professional the challenges from a professional standpoint, but also the the social aspect aspect safety and everything. Yeah. Then it, people really didn't really question my my decision. You know, everything it, it made sense. It's like, well, yeah, I understand. And 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 the reality is that. Uh, uh, for the from a professional standpoint, what I envisioning as being something uh, that I would like to have back home will take me probably eight to ten years. And then, if you compare it to the time investing here sure. uh, uh, in retraining, for me it was no no brainer, you know, to go through uh, the the retraining. Uh, I had the opportunity to do a shorter training, so you, you made the decision even uh, easier. Yeah, and you know, we were, we were talking before about. And I think we talked about on your previous episode as well about what that experience is like where you were already in practice, you're already functioning independently as a practicing neurosurgeon in Brazil. Then you, you come back and you go back to junior residency, you're taking in-house call, you're answering to a chief who is probably in high school when you were getting out of medical school and residency and, and so forth. And we, we chatted a little bit about what it's like when you have your own idea about here's the right way to do things, but then you're being told, well, this is what we're going to do actually. And that could be a whole episode in and of itself. But what, what really strikes me is putting myself in your position, at least at that point, when you're in residency again, you don't really have to find the motivation to work hard because the job is the job, right? And so you're answering to a chief, you're answering to these attendings. And uh, as I often tell people starting residency and, and being a junior resident, you don't have to think about what to do. You're told exactly what to do. And there's just a lot of it. But in terms of, you know, digging deep to find the, the drive to push yourself, you're, you're kind of being pushed by the position that you're in. But now you're out of training again. You're establishing your own practice here. And, you know, Tampa's a beautiful place. We're, we're out here at your house sitting by the pool on a lovely sunny day. You, right, you've got the girls. And I imagine it could be easy to sit back and, and say, you know what, I went through uh, hell and training twice. Uh, I finally got everything I've been striving for. Maybe I just uh, sit back a little bit. Maybe I take it easy now. But starting a practice for yourself, particularly with 
the low volumes during the COVID pandemic, I imagine, that might be a death sentence because when you're first coming out, you want to be high volume, you want to bring in revenue for your department and your institution. And so how, how do you find the internal motivation now that there's not somebody yelling at you saying, do this, do that, do X, Y, Z, check the boxes. Now they're your boxes that need to be checked. So how do you fight or do you even feel the temptation to just sit back or are you still just in the game banging it out every day? What, what's it been like for you? So that's a good question. Uh, to start with, uh, I think uh, training at Rush, I was uh, very fortunate because, and we talked about this before, you know, we have a very, uh, one, the, the program is very resident run, right? Yeah. Uh, so the residents have a lot of autonomy. And, uh, and one thing, probably because Ricardo was, went through that and was already there, kind of really made things easier for me. Yeah. And in a sense that um, we had a very, I had a, I still have a very good relationship with our, our fellow residents, you know, and, and, uh, and even though there was some, uh, uh, someone else that, that was my chief, there was a good relationship and open communication and, yeah. and where I had the, the freedom to maybe say, well, this is probably, I wouldn't do it this way or, and kind of, we had that uh, open, openness in, 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 in discussion. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you're a resident, you're a resident, that's the job, and, and you can't... That's all right. <laughs> it's about to make up again. Oh, my God. You can't possibly. You should probably... Always answer to somebody. <laughs> At this point, we learned that one of Andre's daughters had got into her mother's makeup again and applied it liberally to most of her face again. And you know what? I'm leaving this moment in the episode because this is part of life in neurosurgery too, especially after training when you're staying busy. And I got to learn the motto in the Beer for Lawn household, stop crying. Very neurosurgical. Anyway, we got back to the conversation. Here we go. Okay, go on. So um, we had a pretty uh, good and open relationship where I never felt that I was being... Um, uh, uh, treated uh, unfairly or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it just, I think the, the major challenge is yourself and kind of understanding that you are in a resident position and you're there mm. to learn as well. And you can always learn as, as even though you're already trained, or you can always be a better surgeon. So yeah. I think the, 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 the motivation there uh, was really to become a better surgeon and kind of fill gaps in training that I might uh, not be as well, uh, well trained as, uh, as in skull base, for example, you know, uh, spine, uh, uh, I, I was pretty confident on what I could do in skull base, but maybe in my spine, it wasn't an area of comfort that, that, I, that I had sure. prior to going to rush. So uh, uh, that's that. Now, I think the, the main challenge is having the understanding that end of residency is not the finish line mm. uh and um and for me i had that clear right because i've been through that already yeah and i know and and it's it is difficult to see that when you're going through that the first time right you think so i'm i'm and i'm gonna i'm gonna finish residency i'm done and you know and and a lot of times you learn from from uh maybe lack of humility or, or, or uh, just kind of 
in Brazil we say falling off the horse, you know, and yeah. and and that's what happens, right? When uh, I remember when I was a chief back in Brazil, and you're like, you're clipping dozens of antlers, and you're like, well, I can tackle anything now, right? Yeah. And then one of my last cases in, as a chief there, it, it was um, a blister-like aneurysm that. Uh, uh, we failed to identify preoperatively because we used a lot of uh, clipping with CTAs only, mm. and um, a rupture one, and it was a disaster, you know. Uh, uh, and patient uh, ended up dying a few days later because mm. of uh, lo a long time of temporary occlusion, and then you kind of you think twice, like, well, maybe I'm not ready to take yeah. to tackle anything, yeah. and you know, so. Those are the sort of things that uh, put you in your place, and uh, and again, and you finish, and you kind of face with that practice. You know, it's not the end of residency is not the end or the finish line. You know, in fact, it's just the beginning of it. Yeah. So I think having that uh, that idea and mindset uh, is very helpful because you don't want to burn out, right? Uh, you don't want to get to your chief year or last year of residency and you're ready you, you, you say well you, i gave all the gas in the tank that you have yeah uh the 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 goal is to kind of pace yourself and you think of think as a, as a marathon not a hundred meter sprint and 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 really pace yourself because you want to uh, begin your practice with still gas in the tank and still motivation and um and and wanted to do the things that really motivated to go in neurosurgery in the first place. So I think that was uh, uh, one one of the things I really had in mind. And the way to pace yourself and balance yourself is is what we talked about before I started recording. You know, it's uh, life is not only neurosurgery. You got you got to have something else, uh, escape valve, whether that's exercise, whether that's a hobby, yeah. or whether that's family. You know, you got to got to find uh, uh, that balance otherwise you you if if just neurosurgery is all you do and all you think about 100% of the time you're gonna end up burning out that's sooner or later you know uh, so but then once we cross that point you know graduating practicing then it, it um, and I, I was telling you it becomes easier hmm. right because uh, you really see the you you start collecting the the uh, the results of the uh of everything that you worked for right and and obviously this is not immediate but uh by working and building your practice uh you have that return and that uh reward yeah. Uh, and that kind of just is self-fulfilling. So you, you kind of keep going and, and you see, you start seeing the results of your cases that are going well. And then you start seeing the recognition of your peers, the recognition of uh, uh, the referring physicians as well. So it's kind of, it's a, I guess the, the secret in this situation is not to uh, uh, It is not a, so I heard this interesting quote uh, uh, a few days ago that um, it's great, you know, to, to build a strong CV, especially in the beginning of, of your career. Uh, the one thing that you can do is believe in it, right? <laughs> Once you start believing in your, uh, yeah. then again, that's, 
eventually something will happen that will kind of throw you off the horse again so you kind of put you in your own place yeah but, exactly but, but and I, you know i'm i'm really happy I, I we were sitting here having this wonderful meal and i was telling you I'm, I'm so happy for you just to see this life that you've built for yourself outside of work and you know sitting here in your home and it, it's gratifying to hear that your early experiences professionally as well have all been or at least predominantly been positive and that you're enjoying seeing the fruits of your labor and you're enjoying the reputation that you're establishing for yourself um, at your hospital as, as of course we would all expect to happen for you. The, I heard an interesting quote the other day that's kind of the, the flip side of that one, which is um, uh, Marcus Aurelius, a, Ro- a Roman emperor. He said, when, when you hear people saying bad things about you, don't get angry, don't deny it, just say, oh yeah, well, you haven't even heard the half of it. And just, just own it. Um, so I would imagine that, and maybe this hasn't happened, uh, but I would imagine that as you start in your career and you enjoy the rewards of your good work, you enjoy the esteem of your peers, the other side of that is that when things go poorly, you can't hide behind an attending. You can't hide behind someone else's plan. Now you fully own that as well. And so... I've never been in this position, obviously, but I would imagine that that hits you much harder than making mistakes during residency, and that would therefore much more strongly threaten your motivation. And, you know, it, it would be a much stronger push just throwing the towel. And like you say, oh, well, I guess I'm, you know, I'm not as hot as I thought I was. I guess I don't know everything. And maybe when you get out to practice independently, if something goes poorly, maybe you think, oh, well, maybe I just shouldn't even do that. And you hear Dr. Wang on the show talks frequently about surgeons who try things and it doesn't go well. And, and so they say, well, you know what? I'm just not doing that anymore. Um, to whatever extent you want to go into detail, yes or no, but have you had bad experiences like that? And have you, you know, it, as an independent practitioner and how, how did you approach that? How do you process that? in the full ownership of attending hood versus when you're a trainee and you can maybe even subconsciously say to yourself, well, I'm still a student and I'm still learning and that's okay. Uh, so absolutely. Uh, I think every surgeon goes through that. Yeah. Um, and, and sooner or later you're going to have complications. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'm in a scenario where I'm tasked to help build the skull based program and and these are complex uh, cases uh, and and it's um, complications are happen right particularly yeah. when you're dealing with uh, uh, complex uh, patients or, or, or complex tumors and and I had uh, my complications uh, during the past year has been here been practicing um, uh, nothing uh, devastating but um it was for me it was it was bad because of the expectations i had uh for Mm. myself right and and again it for me it always i do i i I gotta be honest i have a few bad days if i have a complication uh and um because especially in skull-based surgery, a lot of times you're dealing with di- different GBMs where you have a lower uh, life expectancy. Uh, you're often dealing with benign pathology, uh, yeah. but they're, they're just location-wise, they're very um, tough 
and require surgical inter- intervention. And but uh, the patients obviously won't die from uh, from the pathology itself, and and so they'll live. They'll with live with that cranial nerve yeah. deficit yeah. Uh, yeah. that that you may have uh, caused, or my, or may have worsened uh, a deficit that was already being caused by the tumor. Yeah. But um, so I think the first part that I uh, I'm very um, I may say conservative, but also I'm very strict on my surgical indications yeah. because um, if I'm putting the patient through the risk of procedure and whatever that risk, I want to have the peace of mind uh, that it, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Right. That uh, and I, that I tell patients, you know. There's imaging surveillance that's showing the tumor has been growing more than expected. You have all, you know, the, the, the disease is worse than the risk of uh, uh, the surgery. Yeah. And, and I, so I think that's the first thing because the, the worst would be a patient, uh, you say, oh, this is a simple, and then a patient have, has a complication and you kind of mulling over that maybe you shouldn't even have done the surgery, right? right. So I don't want to have that question in my, the back of my mind. It's like, well, the cases I do, I want a hundred percent patient needed to get operated on, yeah. so I don't have to uh, deal with that question or potential question afterwards. Uh, but I do kind of, I had, I had a, maybe a couple of complications that I spent a few days kind of thinking about it, you know, and and um, but I guess uh, in that sense, I have very fortunate to have good uh, uh, mentorship, you know, mm-hmm. for my my chair and. And also, um, you also have to look into, you can look at the glass half empty or half full, right? Sure. And, and you got to look everything in a context uh, that you are helping people, you know, and complications may, may and, or will happen, but you, you can't just let that specific complication define what you are as a surgeon, right? So for me specifically, what I, the process I, I, I go through is what would I have done differently, right? What could I have done differently during the surgery? Uh, I record all my surgery, so I watch it uh, mm. uh, uh, again. And, and it's obviously different when you kind of see, uh, yeah. I, I, I let the time go, let that immediate, post-op feeling, you know, go by. And then after a few weeks or a couple of months, I'll sit down and, and watch the surgery again and see yeah. what, uh, what I can improve in my technique and, and, and things that I could do to, uh, to, to be better and make sure that doesn't happen again. Good. Well, uh, Andre, time is short and time is precious, especially when you're not at work and you're here with your family, as we've been talking about. So, uh, we're going to call it there to respect your time on this uh, lovely weekend, but we, uh, we're really grateful uh, on behalf of Dr. Wayne and myself and everyone listening for you coming back on the show. And it's great. I always love having repeat guests because, you know, we talk at one point in time when your life is one thing, your job is one thing, your, your whole role is one thing. And now here, just a year or two later in this wildly different life situation uh, to get the new and improved if you will, perspective on neurosurgery, living within neurosurgery, and and kind of within that framework, what is really important, what really counts. Um, And, you know, 
myself, everybody at Rush, we're all just so happy for you. And uh, it's great to see you down here and my wonderful home state just thriving. Uh, <laughs> so Andre, thank you for coming back on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it, JP. Andre the Giant. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.